Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. Today's sermon text is from Mark 9, 14 through 37. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Mark in your Bible. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were immediately overcome with awe and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. He answered them, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out only through prayer. They went on from there and passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But they did not understand what he was saying and were afraid to ask him. Then they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on your way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another who was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them. And taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. We finished up the gospel, not the gospel, the book of James last week, and we're jumping back into the gospel of Mark. We had uh, started out uh, kind of a, a while ago with that and took a little break for James, and, and I really, really enjoyed James. I learned a lot from it, um, convicted me a lot, said a lot of things to me, and I, I'm hoping the same was for the, uh, for, true for you. We're starting halfway through uh, the, ch the chapter 9 of Mark. And at this point already, um, Jesus and Peter, James, and John have gone up on the mountain for the transfiguration. Uh, you remember that story? They go up and uh, 
they're having a, a hangout, and all of a sudden, kind of God shows up in this vision, and actually looks like Moses and Elijah, and, and it's, he, he turns into like dazzling white and all that. Uh, we'll talk about that some other time, too. Uh, this is kind of a revelation for James, Peter, James, and John, and they, uh, well, they, they're like, this is something significant. Uh, on the way down from the mountain, though, Jesus tells them, hey, don't tell anybody about this. This is just between us. Well, uh, while they're walking down the, uh, the mountain, though, he tells them, Jesus tells his uh, three disciples here that he's going to suffer and die and be raised from the dead again once they reach Jerusalem. They're kind of on their way at this point to Jerusalem, and Jesus knows very well what's going to happen to him. And he is trying to prepare his followers to be the kind of leaders in what will become the church that Jesus hopes that they can be. But they're a little slow. Uh, the gospel sometimes, and, and Mark in particularly, doesn't paint a, a super good um, vision of who the disciples of, are and their ability to understand what Jesus is saying to them. Um, and we're a little tough on them, but it, I wouldn't be necessarily because I think we're often just as slow, or at least I am. I don't know about you. Uh, that I have preconceived ideas of who I think Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. And I think that's a large part of what the disciples are struggling with. Well, through their, their actions and their attitudes and their conversations with one another, they kind of prove that they are not yet ready to take on real leadership within the kingdom of God. Well, they come down from uh, the mountain and they see a giant crowd gathered together and the rest of the disciples are there and there is an argument that's kind of happening. And so Jesus and the other three, he comes up to the crowd and he immediately wants to know what's going on. And uh, it seems to center around a father and his young boy. And uh, so Jesus is like, hey, hey, what's going on? Why why you, you... Crazy disciples can't keep things straight. Now, we don't know who's in the crowd. Maybe there's some religious leaders that are stirring up trouble too, but, but mostly I think it's people who are coming to Jesus for some kind of healing or to, uh, in this case, to have an evil spirit cast out. Well, he approaches this, um, this father and he says, Teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, and I ask your disciples to cast it out but they could not do so. Uh, Now, our modern understanding of medicine might lead us to believe that this looks maybe a little bit like epilepsy or something like that. I'm I'm not a medical doctor. Um, But a lot of times in in Jesus' world, all of those things, all those kind of medical things we might be able to explain um, were attributed to evil spirits or the demonic or whatever. And I don't want to say that that's not what that is, uh, but in reality, it doesn't even really matter for what Jesus is going to do because the, the simple truth of the fact is that the disciples weren't able to get the job done, and Jesus will. Um, and so uh, Jesus responds, and I, I like this. We, so often we get this really bland and mild, like any movies about Jesus, we get this really bland personality, and I just don't think that's Jesus at all. Um, I think he's a pretty fun guy. I think he's funny in a lot of ironic ways. Uh, But that's just me. And so he answered them. He said, you faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. Now, if you're you're familiar with the Old Testament and you're familiar with uh, Moses and the Exodus story, Jesus is pretty much quoting Moses at this point. 
Uh, if you remember that time, Jesus, or Moses brings out uh, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And instead of being like always super grateful for everything that God had done for them to bring them up out of Egypt, they were constantly grumbling and whining and complaining. In fact, at one point, Moses goes up on the mountain to like receive the law, you know, the Ten Commandments. You can see Charlton Heston all in beards, you know. And he comes back down, and what are, what are God's people doing? They're worshiping a golden calf, yeah. And my favorite part of that story is that Moses is like, what happened? And, and Aaron, his brother, says, uh, we threw a bunch of gold into the fire and out popped this calf. That's like, it wasn't me. We didn't like intentionally make it this way. It was just how it happened. And so over and over again, though, Moses' response is, ah, oh, what am I going to do with you guys, you faithless generation? And so Jesus is here. He's saying, ah, you idiots. Nah, he doesn't say that, right? But might as well. It's like, how, how much longer do I have to put up with your boneheadedness? Like, you, you, just, you just don't get it. And he, to be fair, Jesus will explain. And, and Jesus is far kinder than I think a lot of us would be. But if you're God, which we confess that Jesus is, um, I think you would grow easily impatient with the... Uh, the stubbornness and the slowness of your creation. Anyway, um, so he calls the, the guy over, and, and uh, the father brings his son to him, and Jesus asks, uh, how long has this been happening? And the guy's like, well, it's been happening for a really long time, since he was a little child. And uh, he said, I brought him, but the disciples weren't doing it. And then he says this, uh, the father says this, but if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. I don't know how much this father knows about who Jesus is. I, I don't know if he, he certainly has some understanding of Jesus' power, or else he wouldn't have brought his son, who's been so severely afflicted from, you know, his youngest age to this man, but something, he's not completely locked in. Like he, he, he knows that Jesus is, can do something, but so far, he's not seen so the goods from, his, his, uh, from Jesus' disciples. And so he's like, if you are able. I, I wonder, I wonder, um, I wonder maybe sometimes we feel that way. I mean, like, we, we maybe say that to God, and then maybe other people might think that, like, well, if you think like that, then, then something's wrong with you because you're, you're obviously doubting, and that's... You know, that's Thomas's job, and he's a, he's a loser disciple. And, uh, but uh, I, I don't think that's what Jesus, Jesus' reaction isn't that way here. I love his reaction. Actually, it's like, it's this. If you are able, all things can be done for those who believe. I imagine Jesus being highly amused by this. Uh, I ma- imagine Jesus kind of throwing his head back and laughing and, you know, exclaiming really, really loud, ha, if, you are, if, if you are able, he's like, do you not know who I am? Do you not know who I am? Um, it's like all things can be done for those who believe. Who believes? And uh, I, I don't know. So maybe there's a, there's a matter of faith here. And, and in, in uh, the father's response is equally as great. Immediately the father cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. I, 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 think, I think that's 
just a, a fantastic response. And I don't know about you, but I think I find myself in this position more often than not. Uh, where I, I know what God is calling me to, something that I should do. Uh, you know, whether it be a, a lifetime decision to kind of follow God and become a pastor or uh, to be nice to somebody or to just whatever, to, to lead the church in a specific direction or, or whatnot. And I believe, I believe God. I believe God is, you know, whatever. That, that way is, is good and right. And, and cognitively I know, but there's something caught in, in the middle there, in, in the heart. And so I have to end up saying, ah, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think, um, I, I think that it, I have a friend that would say that this is chronically normal. Uh, that if you are trying to follow Christ in any kind of serious way, that you may have on a regular basis this kind of response to what God is saying. It, it may not be to what God is calling you to do. It may be like, God saying, you know, I really am with you through whatever this junk is that you're doing or having or suffering through. Just to sit and say, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think, I think what, what God likes from us, probably more than anything else, is if we're trying. If, if Israel's story from Moses on shows us anything, is that God's patience is, is vast. And God's going to put up with just a whole bunch load of stuff. Now, don't purposely frustrate God. Israel does that too, and it doesn't end well for them at that. But I think there's some freedom and some joy, maybe, in looking at where you are in your faith, in your journey, and saying, ha, I believe, help my unbelief, and being like, this is where I am at this particular moment. These are the things that I'm struggling with, the, the hurts, the questions about what to do and where to go and how to do it. I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I find it amazing that Jesus ends up calling the boy and he casts out the demon and says, don't ever go, you know, don't come back. And the, and the boy falls down. Everybody thinks he's dead, but he's not really dead. And, and he's just, he's whole and everything's good. And Jesus makes good on his, if you are able, thing. And I, I think at this point, like, uh, we're often maybe thinking that uh, the good things that God wants to do in our lives, the healing, the restoration, comes out as a result of our own faith. What we've just established is this guy doesn't have a super abundance of faith, and the little kid, or I don't know how old he is, uh, he, he doesn't got anything, doesn't have anything. And, and so, like, his healing, his, his restoration isn't so much about the father's faith or the boy's faith, but that this is the faithfulness of God at work in our world, uh, that Jesus believes full-heartedly, full wholeheartedly, that the way that God is calling him to go, where his, his march down to Jerusalem where he's going to suffer and die, uh, that all of that... It's the right way. He, he, I think there's something critical about, well, we'll get there in a second, about that. 
It's, it's God's faithfulness. It's Jesus' faithfulness, his obedience in everything that allows this little boy to be healed. Well, the crowd dissipates and the day is over and Jesus and his disciples go back to wherever they're staying or find a lodging place. And the disciples, as you might imagine, are curious as to why they weren't able. Now, one of the things you've got to remember is that Jesus has already kind of sent them out and uh, they were able to do things. They were able to preach and teach with power and to heal people and cast out demons and stuff like that. And so they were like, why? We could do it then, and, but not now. And Jesus' response is, uh, this, this kind only comes out through prayer. Now, I think we can, we can focus in on some things sometimes and to our own detriment, and I don't think that Jesus is saying, you guys just didn't pray enough. Like, you didn't come to enough to Wednesday night prayer meeting or whatever, and you just didn't do the work. Here's what I think happened, and, and one, one commentator that I read thinks that this is really what's happening. Uh, yes, they didn't pray enough, but they didn't pray because they weren't trusting in God's power, God's faithfulness, to cast out the demon of this boy. But they were, they were relaxing and resting on their past successes. That they were looking back and saying, well, this worked once or a couple of times, and we're just going to, it's going to be easy. It's one, two, three. I'm going to do this like I did last time, and you're going to pray this way like you did last time, and you're going to do a little dance, and then whatever, and then this, it's all be good, and, and that's just, it didn't happen. I wonder, I wonder if, if we kind of get caught up in that way as well. Like, we, yeah, we, maybe when we do have faith, we get this confidence, and we think that it becomes, uh, well, it becomes like a system or a step-by-step where if I do A and I do B, then C will automatically follow. And I think, I think that, that again, it is maybe not necessarily, well, God's not working, God's working through us. When we decide, when we decide that always our faith and our obedience is in Christ. This part only comes out through prayer. Well, he could go on. The next day they get up and uh, they're traveling and they're going along the way and Jesus once again tells, tells them that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer and be killed and rise again. And they're hearing this. Like they've heard, heard this several times and, and they're just, they're really, they're trying to put all of the little pieces together about who Jesus is and, and, and what their place might be in this movement that Jesus is leading. And, and in the day, like if you, were, if you were a rabbi, you had disciples. If you were a teacher in the Jewish world, you had disciples. And upon your death, your best and brightest student would become the teacher and maybe take up your disciples or something like that. And so I imagine they're walking and they've heard Jesus say this and they're like, okay, he's, he's gonna die. That's not what we're hoping for. But we need to figure out beforehand, we have a plan of succession in place uh, so that we can continue Jesus' movement after he's gone. And so they begin to talk and argue about which one of them is the greatest. Be like, well, I got an A on that test. Be like, well, that was a really poor performance with that kid back there. There's no way you're, you're not, you're like bottom 
six, okay? And they're, they're talking on the way, and I imagine Jesus kind of out front walking as they're walking along, and, and uh, they're in groups of three whispering, and they're all, you know, it's kind of, it's like Survivor, um, uh, except without, I don't know, beaches. And, and so they get to where they're going, and Jesus, Jesus, he asks them, he's like, so what were you guys talking about on the way down here? What were you, what were you arguing about? And Jesus knows, right? He has, this, he has this silly way, this funny way. And like, like stubborn teenagers, they don't answer. Nothing. Have you ever, have you ever like asked a teenager a question, but like, why is there a dent in the car? Nothing. Right? Why is the microwave, why is the microwave on fire? Nothing. True story that happened in my house, I didn't do it. It was my older sister. I still. They're like, they're like, ah, no, yeah, we don't know. And so Jesus sits down, and, uh, and that's, kind of, uh, that's kind of cue for he's taking on his teacher kind of role. Um, in those days, the teacher sat and everybody else stood, mostly. So he sits down, and he called the 12, and he says to them, Whoever wants to be first must be least and servant of all. In other words, like all this quibbling about who's the greatest, all this maybe desire to, to cast out a demon on their own authority or, or whatever, the, kind of the arrogance that comes with success sometimes. Like, no. Whoever wants to be first got to be last and servant of all. It's one of the things that, that the disciples have, have hard time learning, like that, that success and leadership and good things in the, in the world and in our society, that they're upside down from the kingdom of God, from the thing that Jesus is bringing. And so they're, they're, they're having to go through this massive mental shift. Whoever wants to be first must be last. And so then he, he knows that words aren't going to be enough. And so he, he's, he's sitting down, and there's, there's a child in the room, and he brings the kid over, and he picks up the kid, and he sits the kid on his lap. And he says, whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. Jesus kind of enacts this little parable now, um, you all like holding babies and little kids. It's evident. It's happened. It's happening upstairs right now. Uh, babies are cute. Kids are, are fun and cuddly when they love you. Uh, but in Jesus' day, they were like, okay, so you had, you had like women. Well, you had men. And then you had women. And then you had like kids. So if women were a little bit more than property, kids just really didn't matter. Like, you didn't matter. You mattered for your potential to grow up and, like, assist the family. And, and so in a, in a very real way, especially kids whose parents had passed away and didn't have any other family, whatever, like, that were, that were orphans or, you know, their mom was, their husband had passed away and their mom had, had to resort to some drastic measures to, to make ends meet, and, and they're just, they're, they're worthless. 
They're a drag. They're a burden to society. So Jesus pulls him up on his lap and he says, this is the least of these. Whoever of you welcomes me, one such of these children, welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. There's this whole thing, I think, through all three of these little stories. And I think the, I think the Jesus suffering and dying thing is maybe the key to understanding all of this. Uh, that power in the kingdom of God looks like loving others maybe a little bit more than yourself. Uh, that it looks like serving those who can do absolutely nothing for you in return. Uh, that it means not hoping and praying for my own success and, and wealth. That's not a bad thing. I don't think Jesus, Jesus uses wealthy people all the time to do really, really great things. But it's a matter of, of, of why you're doing what you're doing and how you're loving. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. I think Jesus understands and he wants his disciples and, and the Apostle Paul will get this and he lays it out in Philippians chapter two. He says, um, well now I can't remember it. Uh, it's the, yeah, Jesus, he came, suffered, died, became one of us that, hold on. It's the Bible on my, uh, that's what's so great about it. Okay, if it'll go. It didn't go. Yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's this passage that talks about Jesus emptying himself, right? I kind of prayed it. I, I, I usually have it memorized. I got a good chunk of it memorized, and it came out kind of in the prayer, but when I need it, it's not there. It's like my hair. It's gone. Uh. That, that Jesus, even though he was God, didn't, didn't consider his godness something to be grasped at or exploited. Here, it's coming to me. But that he emptied himself. The God of the, the universe emptied himself. Became least and last of all. Taking on the form of a human. A dirty, stinking, first century Jew. And, and that even though he possessed all of this power, this creative power, to, that he gives himself up for the sake of the creation that he created, he loves them so deeply so that they might love him back. And that's what he's trying to get the disciples to understand. He's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die and go away and I'm, and I'm gonna leave you guys in charge and in order for you to be in, wow, you just gotta get this idea. If you want to be leaders in God's kingdom, you've got to be like me. Uh, the question then maybe is, what does that look like for us? A couple of things I think that are important for us. One, I think when we want to be leaders in God's kingdom, which all of you are that, by the way, by virtue of your decision to follow Christ, you may not necessarily be a leader in this local church, although you are to some extent, all of you. 
but that you are leaders in the kingdom of God because, well, you follow Jesus Christ and you are called to help others follow Jesus Christ as well. That's kind of a given. One, leadership in the kingdom, it is not a rational system, like I said. It's not A plus B equals C. It's not all the time that's what you will get. Like I said a little bit earlier, I, I think that when we begin to trust in ourselves, that's what we get, and, and we, we fail to understand that God works in different ways as things change. I think that, I think that we get caught in that trap. Uh, I, I, I worked as a youth pastor for 10 years before coming here, and uh, the church that I was at had a, a great history like a youth group that was phenomenal, I guess, for a while, uh, back in the 90s. And they had, like, they had all these games and weightlifting equipment because the youth pastor at the time was like into bodybuilding. And so like, that's how he, that's, those are the kids he attracted. And, and so we had these weights that never got used. And I heard over and over again about this guy and how, like, how great it was, how it used to be the glory days. It was so amazing. If only you would work out a little bit more. No, they didn't really ever say that, but it was kind of implied, right? Uh, if only you, you would do these three things, then the youth group would be amazing again, and you would be worth the money we're paying you. Right? They didn't, nobody ever says that, right? But I, I think, I think I can, we get caught into those mindsets. Where we think, well, well, we've been doing this for so long, and it worked it worked well, and it, you know, maybe it, but I think Jesus is calling us to not trust in the things that we used to be able to do, our old strengths. Uh, maybe even real, really good intentions, like that we were open to what God had called us to do, and we did it, and we laid ourselves out there, and we fully invested, and, and listened, and were obedient, and God blessed it, and, and we think that's what God wants us to do now, but he's really like saying, go do this other thing. Does that make sense? Number two, I've already said this. Just because something worked in the past doesn't mean it will again. Number three, leadership in the kingdom will not make us great in the world. It will often be costly. This is the, this is the, the thing that the disciples were struggling with. Leadership in the kingdom of God will not make us great in the world, but it will be costly. If we confess that Jesus Christ is King of King and Lords of Lords, maybe the path that we take also follows the cross, the sacrifice, the self-emptying, the loving the least of these. But at the end of all of that, right, it goes down, but it comes back up, right? Resurrection. God coming back to make all things new. For leadership in the kingdom of God means having faith or realizing our own lack of faith. To be okay with confessing, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I, think, I think had the disciples responded when Jesus asked them what they were talking about and they just said, 
this is, we were arguing about this, but we don't know if we're right. It would just help us to understand. Like, I think that would have been better. It would have been a better teaching moment had they been at the spot where they recognized that they didn't necessarily have the answers. I think there's a freedom in, God, I don't know. I know there's something coming. I know you're calling us to something good, but I, and I want to believe. I want to believe this could be good and not just costly. Lord, help my unbelief. Uh, Last one. Leadership in the kingdom of God means embracing the lowly. Uh, We can identify whoever that might be. It's not always who you think it is. But I think it, it is always a movement towards loving those and working on behalf of those who can do absolutely nothing in return for you. Because, really, at the end of the day, like, God's good without us. God wants us to love him. God desperately wants us to love him. But, but like, yeah, God's God. Careful working some of that out theologically, but that's the model that God showed for us. He could heal and bring people to wholeness that, that just couldn't do anything. That were nobody. That did nobody for anything. Anything for nobody. I think you'll find, if you think, in your life, that throughout the course of your day, at your job, at school, that there will be a million little places and a million little opportunities to love someone in a small and tangible kind of way. Someone who will not be able to, to benefit you at all. Like that you're nice to your coworker, not just because your coworker maybe like does a performance review and will get you a raise or whatever but that we are truly and genuinely loving of people regardless of what they might have to offer. We're going to pray, and like we did last week, we're going to have a little guided self-reflection time, and then we'll sing a song. I want you to ask yourself a couple of things as we do this. Uh, Like the disciples, do I trust in myself? Do I trust in what God has done through me in the past instead of seeking to be available to what God is doing here and now. Do I trust myself? Am I resting on what God has done in the past? Have I tried to do God's work without God's power? The church in America specifically is full of this, trying to do God's work without God's power. Do I want to be important and powerful? Or do I really want to love God and my neighbor with all that I have? And then if you answer yes to those things, confess them. And then pray, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that it's, even though the, story is familiar to us and we've heard you say that you're going to suffer and die over and over again 
that we really, we still really don't get it. Um, Lord, help us to truly understand what that means for us as individuals and for us as a, as a church. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit heartlandnaz.org.